The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. The new college football playoff rankings are out, pretty much status quo. Huge games coming this weekend that might separate the pack a bit. And what's new at Michigan? This is the College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, November 8th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel with you. So, uh, Pete, let's start with the latest news, which is that there wasn't a lot of news with the latest version of the college football playoff rankings coming out. And as suspected, it pretty much stayed the same. I thought Georgia might move to number one. In fact, I thought they would move to number one, and they didn't. And that's fine. As I said on the show last night, I think any case that is made for any of the teams ranked one through five, perfectly legitimate. I think they're as closely grouped as any season I can remember at this point in the year. And you gave me all the way, go down to number eight and nothing moved from a week ago. Yeah, I really agreed with you, Reese. I thought uh, a top 15 SEC team, quite frankly, the kind of team Georgia hadn't played this year. Um, and look, they they beat them. It was a good game. I thought Missouri played really well. It was an entertaining game. And, uh, you know, Georgia needed a field goal in the last seven minutes to to put away, essentially ice a game against a, against a good team at home. But that was the caliber of opponent that Georgia had really lacked at this point in the uh, in the schedule, in part because that Oklahoma game got pulled because of the SEC move. So I thought that there may be some inclination to uh, to nudge the Bulldogs up. I don't have a huge problem that they that they didn't. Um, I did in uh, watching the show, obviously, and then reading Boo Corrigan's comments after there was some respect for Rutgers. You know that may not have been there mm-hmm. as a as a mm-hmm. league is a league road victory in years past. They have a top twenty defense. Um, you know they played uh, they played really well in that first half. Uh, you know control like they they had the underdog game plan right. You control the ball. You let the other team make a mistake or two. You run it. You run the clock. And uh, you know they they made it a game for uh, for for three quarters. So um, yeah, I I felt like. Ohio State got a measure of uh, validity for that win that may not have been there in years past um, when Rutgers was in the Floodian era. <laughs> you know, one thing that I've noticed in this, and I'm not at all saying that the uh, that the SEC is not getting any respect because they do have three teams in the top nine in the country and and what five of the top fourteen, but in years past. Fans of other conferences have felt as if it has gotten undue respect. I would differ with that. I think that most of the years of the playoff era, the level of play in the SEC has been, uh, by and large, better than in the other conferences. doesn't mean that every team in the SEC is better than every team in other conferences. I'm just saying that overall, the level of play has been higher. Mm -hmm. Based on the non-conference performance this year, That has not been the case. Based on football judgment of watching the games, I don't think that's the case. And that has been reflected by this committee, which I think validates some credibility that the committee should have had before, in my judgment. Not that you're going to agree with every decision they make, but by and large, credible. And I think the way that they're not bumping Georgia up because they finally won a game. They don't have... Alabama ahead of Oregon, you know, despite uh, what some would deem a better resume. So, you know, and because the resume is built largely on beating SEC teams, which has not proven to be as big a differentiating factor as it has been in previous years. So, you know, I I think the committee has, uh, up to this point, has done a really good job, and they potentially have an impossible task depending on how the rest of the season plays out if these if these teams at the top right now obviously um you know obviously Ohio State and Michigan uh end up playing each other so both of them are not going to be undefeated but you know you could wind up with some re- with a really difficult decision for that last spot at the end of the line and you know so far i think they've shown shown pretty good credibility in getting to this point yeah i th- i think it's interesting Reese right because if the sort of we've all kind of operated on the big 10 teams winning at home. Now I don't think Penn state is going to win this weekend. They could, and they may um, when Michigan goes there, but if Ohio state does go lose to Michigan in Ann Arbor, which, you know, I think Michigan will be a what three and a half point favorite in that game. 
Yeah, probably. So some somewhere in that line. Three to five, maybe something like that. I think they yeah. will be they will be favored again, pending results. Previously, it would be pretty interesting to see how the committee treats Ohio State, considering they've treated them very well so far. Now, there's mm-hmm. dozens of results that are going to factor in all different ways to b- before that point. But I would think they'd have to feel pretty good there being one instead of three right now, knowing that they have a they have a tall task um going to Michigan. Um, and playing a really, really good Michigan team. Yeah, it's uh, it's an exercise in futility to start saying, "Well, what if this happens? Yes. What if that happens?" Sure. And you know, and we had, you know, we had a really uh, a good discussion on the show last night with Greg McElroy on the topic of consistency. Yeah, and you know, Greg believes that there is some inconsistency that has been shown because. Ohio State is number one. And, you know, I, the number one thing you need to point out, and he also was pointing out that he felt that Texas and Alabama had better resumes than Oregon did, but that Ohio State was getting rewarded based on uh, based on its resume, which it which it almost certainly is. And Boo Corrigan has said as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing that I would hasten to point out, if you look at Greg's personal rankings, he's got Oregon six. And he's got, I think huh. he's got Ohio State five, if memory serves, because to him, Football judgment is the mm-hmm. ultimate arbiter and sure. and the number one thing that should be considered. So he uses his football judgment, which some call the eye test. I prefer football judgment to rank the teams. And that's what you want from a committee. So where, where I would differ with Greg on terms of consistency of the committee is that consistency for a committee is one of two things. I don't know any other way around it. You either have to have a formula or you have to have 13 or this week, 12 people engage in groupthink. And the reason that we have the committee is to get varied perspectives. So there there almost inherently will be some discrepancy, some conflict, uh, as they like to use the term at the margins, because, you know, if, if you have 13 people and you're asking them to bring their football judgment and their evaluation skills into question, you don't want them looking at things precisely the same way. So there sure. are going to be some things that don't line up precisely. So, you know, and that was why I challenged Greg to maybe you want a formula and to his credit, he's like, yeah, I'd take a formula, you know, and, <laughs> you know, because even if you've got 13, 13 old coaches in there, they're all not going to agree. I mean, we see that mm-hmm. when we talk to coaches all the time. So, you know, any kind of, you know, conspiracy thing or anything like that, that, when people complain about the rankings, you know, just sort of a dead fish smell to me. So I'm, you know, I'm not really, not really up for that, but you know, it's because things are going to change and, and play out for, you know, for the rest of the rest of the way here. Hey, let's, uh, before we dive into this week and the games, which are the utmost importance, let's, let's talk a little bit about, about Michigan, mm-hmm. which I know, Hey, guess what? They're going to talk about Michigan on the college game day podcast again. But every time we come on, there's some new twist. The latest twist being that that other schools, uh, what was it, Purdue, Ohio State, and Rutgers had engaged in swapping some information, which they had given out Michigan signals, which a lot of Michigan people on the on the social media machines have taken as a point of validation, completely ignoring the fact, to at least based on what has been reported up to this point, that it's not the same thing. Now it may be it may be a little sketch. It may seem a little um, a little low rent ganging up on everybody. But the fact of the matter is, you and I have been in these buildings for years. This happens, man. <laughs> everybody has buddies that they've worked together with. And now maybe they don't send a, a call sheet. So maybe maybe in some people's judgment, that is beyond the pale. But, you know, this is not, you know, Jack Sales sending the playbook to Ron Zook, you know, when he was on staff at, at Tennessee, Tennessee and sending it to Florida or whatever that story was, you know, a long time ago. This is information sharing. And I'm not saying even that should happen or that it's the best look for those involved. But information sharing goes on all the time. And if you want to say that violates a sportsmanship policy, go ahead. I mean, that's that's probably that's not an unreasonable take. But to say that it is the same thing and therefore somehow vindicates Michigan's actions, alleged actions, Connor Stallion's uh, actions is preposterous in my judgment. Yeah, Reese, I, I think the the important thing here is uh, the, the the line of delineation between legal and illegal, right? Like Connor Stallion's mm-hmm. 
allegedly ran a wide-ranging scheme that broke two tenets of NCAA rules. One is in-person opponent scouting. Um, they went to future opponent stadiums and scouted games. There is there's evidence of that. There's a long paper trail of it. Um, it's been a rule that's been in place for 30 years or so. And there's beginning to become more evidence of the people in those seats using electronics to scout the games, which again is not allowed under NCAA rules. So those the, the those two things make these completely different conversations. And I think ultimately what I've gleaned in the last 24 hours is that the Big Ten isn't really going to put a lot of time and thought into the uh into the Rutgers Purdue Ohio State version of this. Like they collected the information, but it's really just for being you viewed as a diversionary tactic to what happened. And what happened was Connor Stallions ran an unprecedented, wide-ranging, as it's been alleged, scheme to give Michigan an illegal schematic advantage. And that that hasn't changed. And that is ultimately what Tony Petiti is going to make his decision based on. We're expected to hear one this week, maybe as early as Thursday. And that's the crux of it. And, and I think it's important from the Big Ten's perspective that since all this was alleged, and again, they have a chance to formally respond on Wednesday, there hasn't been anything that's been a mitigating factor or anything that said, no, oh, this actually wasn't the case. Like there has been there's been nothing that I've heard from Michigan and maybe you've heard different that says, no, this wide ranging, elaborate alleged scheme wasn't run as it's been alleged. So I think that's the that is the core of what this Big Ten decision is going to be based on. And I will say this about the, the story, and Larry Lage from the Associated Press uh, broke it the other day. I think it was 48, about Tuesday, 48 hours ago. I thought it was very interesting, Reese. Like, they, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. we spend a lot of time covering football, and anytime we get a window into how the world really works, I think it's very interesting, right, that, okay, Purdue's going to play in the Big Ten title game, and there's a guy on the Purdue staff who's calling people on different staffs, and the the level of detail by the end of the season that they've been able to gather – um, I thought it was I thought it was a really insightful look at how, you know, a, a little peek under the hood at how football really works. So I think it was it was relevant in the sense that it informed us all of something that I'd imagine most viewers, readers, listeners don't know that every staff has a science dealer, essentially. And they don't know how that information is disseminated. And uh, there was a, a quote somebody put up yesterday. It's your uh, um a friend, uh, an enemy of your enemy is a friend of yours, something like that. Like there's that whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. that whole mentality that, that permeates through these leagues and, and everybody is scurrying for an edge on the margins. And that's what this was an interesting window into. But in terms of comparing them, I, I think that's disingenuous. It's, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you kind of look at and you don't want to think it happens. But I was having a conversation with a with a coach a few weeks ago about an old game from years ago. And he they had had some success against a, a really high-powered team. And he said, yeah, so-and-so called me a couple of weeks after that because they had to play him and said, okay, what was it that you tried to do? And they talked about the scheme that they used and then the team that tried to employ it the second time was not nearly as successful <laughs> at trying to take some of those tenants. But that type of thing, uh, you know, that type of thing happens, you know, happens all the time now. And, and the thing is you can say that that's unsavory and perhaps it is, that's probably, you know, not a wild take to say that they shouldn't do that. But it's impossible to legislate that. Uh, the other is pretty easy to legislate. You can't send people to games. You can't um, you can't videotape their signals. Um, so basically, I know this is not the direct quote, but I looked this up for you because I know what a pop culture maven you are. Oh, um, ninja, yeah. Dwight Sh Dwight Schrute of the Office fame actually had a similar quote about his rival friend Jim saying, Jim is my enemy, but it turns out that Jim is also his own worst enemy, and the enemy of my enemy is my <laughs> friend. So Jim is actually my friend. But because he's his own worst enemy, the enemy of my friend is my enemy. So actually, Jim is my enemy. So there you go. Maybe Dwight True can come and fix all this. 
<laughs> he would have as good a shot as anybody right just be now. A, just be an arbiter, arbiter for fairness. Wait. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the one thing, Pete, and we had a little brief conversation before we started the podcast about this. I've reached the point, and this is going to shock uh, many of our our good friends who are are convinced that we are somehow against Michigan, that everybody's against Michigan, uh, Michigan against the world, all of that stuff. Um, I don't think Harbaugh should be suspended. I think that if if it is with if it is within the purview of the Big Ten, and I'm not clear, I I, I know the thing about the level of the fines. If it's over ten thousand, it's major, and all of that. I think the more effective punishment for this, if it is deemed that the Big Ten thinks that the actions have risen to the level that uh, command punishment, the more effective punishment would be to withhold revenue disbursement to a significant level, whatever they deem that to be. And for the members of the coaching staff, Harbaugh or whoever, shut down recruiting, shut Hmm. down their, you can either limit the official visits. I don't know if it's within their purview. That might be an NCAA thing, but if possible, limit their contact with official uh, visitors, whether they are on campus or away, maybe even shut down for a year visiting players off campus that will get somebody's attention about making sure that the that the ship is run now there are coaches no hamburgers would Reese say, would it be the no hamburger yeah punch? no hamburgers yeah exactly cheeseburger I don't remember yeah yeah there are coaches who would say yeah sign me up for that because I don't really want to go out for it but what they yeah. don't want is to be prohibited from interacting with recruits when they come to campus I I don't think that's ever been done before but as I was thinking through this um, I was thinking, what's an appropriate punishment? What is one that would get their attention and not impact the competition on the field, which is what we say the major problem is to begin with, that stealing the signs impacted the competition on the field. If you suspend Jim Harbaugh for Saturday or for a couple Saturdays from now when they play Ohio State or even the game against Maryland in between, you are on some level impacting the competition on the field. And I'm not sure that's what you want to do because the ones who pay the price for that more than anyone else are the players. And while I understand those who are against Michigan would say they benefited from this because they were coached into knowing what was coming, I get that. But I think it's disproportionate. I think it's a disproportionate punishment to impact this team, these players on the field. I would say you impact the program and their ability to, you know, to recruit and to make money off of this um there's no great answer because if they if tony petiti chooses not to suspend jim people are going to get mad if he suspends him for one game they're going to get mad that it's not enough if they suspend him for two games and he comes back for ohio state ohio state's going to be furious if they suspend him for three games michigan's going to be furious and you know so it's hard to find the the right proportion and to me if it is within the Big Ten rules and within the commissioner's purview, and you know when Jim Delaney was commissioner, everything was within his purview. Jim could have done whatever he wanted to do. Uh, you know, it's. Um, I think that would be something that would be more of a deterrent, and it might not send the external message that people who want a pound of flesh desire, but it certainly would send an internal message if they hit them hard 
in revenue dis- distribution and recruiting. Do that, and and you're going to you're going to get your point across. A couple of quick things to to close the loop on this, Reese. One is I've seen some people talking about oh you know vacating wins or banning them from the playoff that that kind of thing. I'm confident to say that's not going to happen. Um, Good. The NCAA's ability to punish, and again, this is not an NCAA purview thing, we're talking Big Ten, but the NCAA has struggled with punishment, right? Like that's become a a vexing issue for them in part because the timelines of their investigations are so slow. One thing I've been told that I'm certain of is that they don't want to impact the players on this team. Now, again, taking a coach away may impact them, but like just directly ripping something from the players is not a punishment that that I've been told is really even on the table for uh, for the ne- for the upcoming weeks. When you go forward here, regardless of what the punishment is, seemingly it's going to be a suspension for Jim Harbaugh, the length of which is not determined yet. Um, we're going to take this thing to court. The only certain prediction here, Reese, is that everyone's going to be unhappy. You just hinted at it, right? Like this mm-hmm. is this is you have two divided sides and. You mentioned Jim Delaney had all this autonomy. I don't know if Jim Delaney or Henry Kissinger could get some middle ground right now. That that because things are so <laughs> things are so divisive. So um, yeah, if it's X suspension deemed light, you're going to have both sides unhappy. It, you're going to have Michigan likely go try to get a temporary restraining order in uh, in in I would think Washtenaw County State Circuit Court. Um, in that seems to be where the the legal seeds have been planted at this point. Um, I will say this, thanks to a uh, a little research and one of our fearless readers, I do actually have two examples of the Big Ten uh, being taken to, le- to legal action being taken to the Big Ten by its members. Um, one oh. is Nebraska during COVID. Um, when Kevin Warren canceled the season, the players, eight players did a collective suit through a, a law firm in Omaha to bring them back. And that, like through the fog of all the COVID news, I just completely forgotten about. Um, the other one of our uh, one of our intrepid listeners emailed to me. Um, it was it was a bright light in an email inbox that was filled with some darker things this week. Uh, <laughs> he, he mentioned a really interesting story, and I went down a small rabbit hole on it. There was a Illinois quarterback in 1980 named Dave Wilson. Dave Wilson was deemed academically ineligible by the Big Ten, and they got an injunction. Um, I read a UPI article, uh, Dateline Springfield, Illinois. I think it was the Illinois State Supreme Court that allowed Dave Wilson to play. And I think Illinois ended up getting in trouble for doing it in the in the long run. But we are not in unprecedented territory. I think I said to you the other day, rare if not unprecedented. So it's not unprecedented that these types of legal things have happened. So courts in Michigan are closed on Friday, which adds to the drama a little bit. It's Veterans Day. Um, so how a temporary restraining order, does it go through county state circuit court in Washtenaw County, or does it go through federal court? I think is, you know, one of the looming questions I would lean local in part because Nebraska's was local. And that's probably a little bit of a roadmap for uh, what the Michigan legal team would, would use to do this. So yes, when you, when we started this season, um, TRO was not on my college football bingo card twice, temporary restraining order. We saw one <laughs> from the local court in Pullman. That judge, I just want to give him a hug. He seemed like a nice guy um, in uh, in the county. Oh, I don't remember the name of the county outside Pullman, but the local judge got a temporary restraining order for Oregon State, Washington State on Pac-12 matters. And uh, we are very likely to see the second uh, TRO that could impact this season. The key phrase to take away, and I'm not going to bore you with all the legal stuff that I've dug into on this here, is irreparable harm is sort of the legal threshold to be proven here. And some really smart person, smarter than uh, me, certainly could talk about irreparable harm on both ways for a while. But that that will become the the buzz term for the uh, for the TRO to be heard. So, and that would cause an injunction that would allow uh, Jim Harbaugh seemingly to coach this weekend if it gets escalated to that point if he is indeed suspended so fun fun times here well while i certainly would like to seek out some advice on where to get a bulky vacuum cleaner i have repaired or <laughs> if there's any type of uh any type of llc that i could check out involving uh, blake Corum and connor stallions which by the way is another bizarre twist just because I referenced it, let me say Blake Cora uh, said he had no idea there's some LLC in Wyoming that Stallions allegedly 
had connected Blake Corum's name to. I mean, it, it's just theater of the absurd, you know, from him dressing up like Jacques Clouseau on the sideline over there. And, uh, you know, it's it's just a crazy thing. And, you know, Corum has his lawyers on it and good for him to to shut that down as quickly as possible. We'd love to talk vacuum cleaner repair and LLC for the rest of the podcast. But instead, we've got the great Bill Connolly joining us right now to talk on the field. Uh, Bill, uh, vacuum cleaner repair aside, <laughs> uh, how I don't know if that factors into SP+. Michigan's like a four-and-a-half-point favorite at Penn State. We went through the litany of difficulties that Penn State has had on this stage, yeah. oftentimes because they aren't favored as they aren't on Saturday. So how do you how do you evaluate what's going to happen Saturday or what you expect to happen on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing we can say is that Michigan doesn't appear to be distracted. Um, you know, I, well, technically, I guess they didn't quite look quite as good against Purdue as they had, quite as uh, merciless as they had in previous games, but I think they're fine. Um, yeah, I, I, it's it's so funny trying to poke holes in the on-field Michigan right now, and luckily in my job, I get to mostly focus on the games that will be played and not all the stuff that's happening uh, elsewhere. But I, I basically, you look at matchups, Michigan wins them all right now because their stats are so good overall, because they're just, even when you adjust for opponent, they've been good. So basically what I try to do, what I'm trying to do for my Friday preview is, is go to the old trope of, okay, if an upset happens, how did it happen? Um, that's usually good for at least figuring out a couple things. Um, number one, I think uh, the best thing that, that Penn State has going for them is they are the best turnovers team in the country, both because hmm. they force them um, and because they can probably get some third down sacks on J.J. McCarthy if they ever get a third down. I mean, they have to stop the run better than they did last year when, when Michigan rushed for 400 yards. But their pass rush is awesome, even if Chop Robinson isn't 100%. They had like six sacks last, last week without him. Um, if they can force some turnovers, you know, they got to pick six last year against Michigan that kept that game closer than it should have been. And and I think that's the number one path right there. Um, if they can win that turnover, if they can get plus two in the turnover battle, that kind of evens out a lot of things. <laughs> Beyond that, I'm not real sure. Um, Michigan does give you some big plays occasionally where, you know, any successful play you get is probably a decent sized one. And, and, and they don't, they aren't the most explosive offense in the country. So maybe Penn state's complete and total lack of explosiveness doesn't bite them entirely. This is going to be kind of a ball control game you figure. And uh, if they can, stay in third and mediums and, and avoid getting hit by big plays on the other side. Maybe they can kind of keep the field position game under control, but that's kind of the only path I see. Um, it's Michigan's really, really, really good. And and Penn state's going to have to play pretty error free ball and get that, get at least a plus two, I think in the turnover margin to, to give themselves a really good chance. How much of a factor bill do you think it would be if Jim Harbaugh doesn't coach? Like, how does that get baked in? And, and yeah. it's hard with with SP plus, but I just yeah. it, it's a, it's a fascinating question, right? Because yeah. there was seemingly not much of a factor in games one, two, and three this year. Um, yeah. I'm just curious how how you view that. I mean, if he's still coaching Sunday through Friday, I, I don't really put any stock into it all. Um, you know, we, going back to Urban Meyer a few years ago when Ryan Day coached Saturdays, but he he was still the coach the other six days of the week. It didn't really make any difference there. I guess they struggled with TCU a little bit that one game, but that I I, I didn't see any sort of quantifiable difference. Now that you know, Michigan didn't cover any of those games early in the season. So you could say they probably, they maybe weren't living up to projections or expectations or whatever, but that was usually because they had called off the dogs about halfway through the third quarter. So uh, they handled their business just fine when the game was even reasonably close. So I'm not, I'm not putting any stock in that. Their, their assistants are experienced. If you want to start suspending assistants too, uh, things yeah. could get weird at some point down the line, but if it's just hard by, I'm not, I'm not doing anything with that. I don't think. Okay. Lane Kiffin and Kirby Smart have won national championships together or a national yeah. championship together, know each other well. Lane, I would imagine, will have a trunk full of funk in that <laughs> offense ready for ready for Kirby's defense. But is Ole Miss a paper tiger? 
Um, I do love Lane Kiffin's funk. Um, I, I think th- there's a lot to like about their explosiveness and all that. And I mean, you know, Missouri made quite a few 20, 30 yard gains last week. And if they can do, I mean, obviously Ole Miss doesn't have Luther Burden, but they've still got a more explosive o- offense overall. So that does lend a little bit of hope to the fact that, that Ole Miss could keep things close. I do think this uh, Missouri was able to to really do some damage against Georgia last week, primarily because they're a more physical team than Ole Miss. Um, they 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 you know we know by now that if if you can't match Georgia's physicality, nothing else matters. And Missouri has actually been able to do it pretty well the last couple of years. We don't know that Ole Miss can do that. Alabama wasn't even really in rhythm, and they beat Ole Miss by two touchdowns uh, back in whenever that was late September. Uh, and, and so really, I think that's the, the big question here. If they can, you know, keep Jackson Dart able to look downfield because they're not in third and 11 and, and, uh, the pass rush isn't, isn't overwhelming them or anything, then they'll have a chance, but they're going to have to be able to run the ball really well. Um, and I, it's a lot of burden of proof here for Ole Miss. They're a good team, but what they are good at isn't necessarily what tends to beat Georgia. They're going to have to be really good at, uh, in the trenches, uh, in the trenches as well. Yeah, I think it's an interesting inflection point for Ole Miss because I feel like uh, two years in a row now they've sort of roared to the three quarters pull of the season and then <laughs> gone out, gone out like lambs. And so um, that I, I give them credit. Like they, there was opportunities to fold in that A and M game, and A and M is really good in the trenches, especially defensively. Yep. I think that's yep. just they have they have elite talent there. Um, whether they're maximizing it or not is a whole other seventy-seven million dollar question. But you can't. <laughs> You can't argue that they uh, that they have dogs, uh, pun intended. So I, I'm really curious too to see uh, to see Ole Miss. And I, again, in my Pepto Bismol theory of picking games, I'm going to remain skeptical of Ole Miss <laughs> sort of having the uh, chutzpah in the trenches until they show me they have. Yeah, I think turnovers are really, really important to Ole Miss, especially on defense because they aren't really they aren't they aren't great up front, um, but they. Uh, they've, I think, either tied or won the, the turnover battle on every single game. And and when, if they if you give them two turnovers, they're they're going to end up playing pretty good defense. That's usually how that works, I guess. Uh, but Georgia hasn't committed a turnover in the last two games. That was key to beating Missouri last week. Was uh, was they had to win the turnover battle and. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see if they'll make those. They obviously made mistakes early in the year that, that allowed South Carolina and Auburn to stick around despite getting outgained by triple digits, but, um, they're going to have to make a couple mistakes. You figure. Another interesting game, I think, and one that could be a really important one for the college football playoff picture and just sort of a theme of the season is USC at Oregon. I was a little taken aback by how big the line is in that game. I think when I last checked, it was 16 and a half. <laughs> and I, I get it. You know, I get it that SC's defense has been terrible. They've made the change at defensive coordinator. And one of the themes is, depending on what Caleb Williams decides to do in the postseason, <laughs> the end of the Caleb Williams era in college football could come next week. Yeah, because they crazy. finished the season a little... Yeah, a little bit earlier than everyone else yeah, week zero. Uh, on November 18th against UCLA. How, however, however, <laughs> while you know there was the devastation and the heartbreak that you saw from SC after the loss to Washington the other night, all is not lost. If they went out, the meeting, a huge task for sure, but if they upset Oregon and then beat UCLA, which doesn't seem to be very far-fetched, they most likely will get into the Pac-12 championship game because the teams that they lose the tiebreaker to, one of their losses in conference is Washington, who's likely going to go and be the other team in it. Uh, Utah plays Washington. Um, Oregon State still has huge games. (laughs) They would have to win out. Now, there is a scenario where Oregon State, Arizona SC all went out, and Oregon State would get the nod and a tiebreaker in in that scenario. But the most likely one is if it, USC wins this game and beats UCLA, that there will be another game to play. Hmm. So the question I have for you, Bill, is this. <laughs> is there any chance, given what we've seen, that SC was a conscientious objector in rush defense <laughs> against Dylan Johnson in Washington last week, and now you have Bucky Irving in a, a really physical group from Oregon coming in, what chances do you give uh, SC of shaking things up this week? Well, 
I mean, first of all, you know, it bears mentioning that SP Plus adores Oregon, hates USC's defense, and hmm. still only has this as like a 13-point game. Huh. Um, so that that line does seem to have – I mean, if you think USC's just packed it in, then that's fine. But I don't think mm-hmm. they have. And if you make a, a coordinator change like this, as often as not, maybe it gives you a very brief little boost. You can come up with a couple little tactics that the other team doesn't expect, force a couple mistakes or whatever, and – uh, overachieve at least slightly. So, I mean, it's you have Caleb Williams and maybe a couple of unexpected little tweaks on defense that could you're still going to need some breaks because Oregon is awesome. And, and like you said, their run game, it really might be the best in the country and better than Washington's. So, uh, maybe that that alone makes the difference, but they're still not that far. They weren't that far from beating Washington last week and it, right. with the terrible defense and the soon to be fired DC. So, yeah, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility at all. I, I'm I'm going to go with Oregon because Oregon's awesome, but um, it, this wouldn't be the most surprising result in the world now. I think there's a pretty compelling case, and we'll pick the game on Friday, Reese, uh, but for USC to cover here, if only because, Bill, you'd obviously have the numbers to back it up, but Oregon, and, and this is in my mind from being on the sideline for that Washington game, has a efficient offense that's effective but i wouldn't Mm. call it like as dynamic as usc's offense like they will they will methodically and surgically pick you apart they will run bucky irving down your throat they'll (laughs) use ferguson the tight ends they have troy franklin who's a very good receiver but this isn't like a four vert shot offense that's all or nothing it's a it's a churn 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 offense and that's not an insult to it offenses are designed in different ways and it's effective for how dan lanning wants to play so they could blow you out by two touchdowns and, and USC could still cover if if that makes sense. I also yeah, do that, think what we saw in that Oregon-Washington game is that there's some vulnerabilities in Oregon secondary. And yeah. USC still has Caleb Williams and they still have very capable receivers. So I would be really surprised if USC went up there and laid an egg on offense. Now, right. I could see Oregon scoring on like six of eight possessions, right? Like that's uh-huh. not I – don't, I don't think Oregon's going to punt a whole lot on Saturday unless something really dynamically changes with the effort in USC's defense. But you could see this thing come home at 35-21 or whatever and not, you know, not be crazy or, or, or 40, you know, 42-31 or something like that, like that kind of score where Oregon controls the game. It's never really in doubt, but USC yeah. still – you know, USC still ends up covering that number. Yeah, their run explosiveness is is high, but their passing explosiveness, is, which is obviously where most of your chunk plays tend to come, it, it's pretty mediocre. Let's see, 14% of their completions go for 20-plus yards. That's yeah. 97th in the country. Um, it's a nibble kind of offense. Yeah. They have the game breakers to to take one of those nibbles and go 70 yards with sure. it. And Washington, obviously, you know, Dylan Johnson, I didn't really know he was capable of some of those big plays, and he probably isn't against better defenses. But no, I mean, if if they are just tackling well and not br- having any secondary breakdowns or anything like that, then a this could this this could hit the under at the very least because there won't be many possessions. But hmm, um, good point. But no, I, yeah, no, I, I always feel like I'm trying to talk everybody into an upset uh, by pointing out how it could happen when I, I don't think it's going to happen. But it's. USC still got a lot of talent and and you're right if if there's a shot in the arm if nothing else from watching your DC get fired um maybe that you know they get make a couple extra plays on defense too Best in Game is brought to you by Old Dominion Freight Line helping the world keep promises I don't want to jump to the conclusion that if SC loses and then they will be eliminated then that Caleb Williams wouldn't play in whatever bowl game USC might go to. I mean, Bryce Young, Will Anderson both played in the bowl game last year against conventional wisdom. Pete, you know this situation pretty well. How would how would you characterize your expectation if SC, you know, doesn't make it to the Pac-12 championship game, doesn't make it to one of the the biggest bowls? I, I think I think it's highly unlikely. That he would play in whatever bowl that they go to. Am I am I right in that uh, in that perception? So I have not uh, dangled that notion um, yet to mm-hmm. anyone at SC or anyone in Williams's camp. Um, I would think like there's some bottom line business here that it would make sense that you don't mm-hmm. do it. Um, again, th- their bowl variance could be pretty high, right? Like they could mm-hmm. end up in a 
they could end up in a New York Six bowl if they if if they have a couple positive results going out, and they could end up in some sort of second tier bowl uh, as as well. Um, bowl assignments are not my expertise, so I'm not going to sit there and spout out is it holiday, is it this? I you know that that all that's yeah, all. Yahtzee I think really, the, I think the year. line of delineation is is sort of New Year's Six or not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. for for a guy like this, right? Yes, I mean, I would I would think, I would anyway. think so. I w- I would think so. I don't think again he is in a. USC is in a slump and Caleb is now in the white hot lamp of will he be the number one pick and things are being picked apart about him and his game. I think when we take a breath in late January, I think he remains the clear number one pick in this NFL draft. That is that is where I am and that is where most NFL people are. There are always some wise guys like and again, Drake Mays had a really nice season. I don't think Drake May has had this authoritative takeover that one one spot type season. I think he's been very good. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be a high pick. Um, it's not a knock on him. I just don't think he's done enough and planted his flag enough. And, and I think the difference for Caleb is that he really fits the archetype of the hyper-athletic modern quarterback who can beat you with his legs, throw at all the different arm angles. He just has a little bit of a little a little bit more diversity to his game that separates him from May, who's excellent. And I think he'll be a great pro and I'll start for a long time. So I don't want this to take as like, I'm hating on Drake May, but when you start splitting hairs between those two, I haven't seen enough this season to where there's, you know, to where Drake May has done enough to take, to take over. Now there are some scouts who who like him more. And if you are Mm -hmm. like a Justin Herbert enthusiast and you like the Parcelsian mold of the big drop back quarterback and may has a little scoot to him. I mean, there's, there's some athleticism. He's not, I don't want to paint. I think he's got a lot. He just doesn't have a lot of, not as much wiggle. I would characterize him more like, uh, I don't think he's quite as big as Andrew Luck, but sort of an Andrew Luck type of athleticism. Andrew could run fast. He can run. Yes. He can. Andrew Andrew could could really run. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I also don't think you're going to have, uh, you know, you're going to have uh, him running read plays either in the NFL, right? Drake may like, I don't, I don't see that. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Bill's smirking. No, what, no, what no. I'm, I'm just smirking because never underestimate the ability of anonymous NFL scouts to completely overthink from January to April. And like Joe Milton will end up number one all over again or something. But, um, <laughs> but no, oh. I, I would right now. I would, I think I would lean towards Caleb at least. I really like Drake may though. Yeah. He's yeah. great. So I, I think I think that is I think that's a win-win situation to be honest. <laughs> yes. I mean you're you're gonna nobody's gonna be sad with either of those two guys and, and for a long time. I I don't think, despite the fact, you know, assuming that Washington has righted the ship um and doesn't play as it did against Arizona State and really against Stanford, I don't Stanford, give yeah. Utah much of a shot of uh, of going in there and beating them. Uh, nor do I give TCU much of a shot at taking down Texas. And, you know, they're about uh, TCU has always dreamed of supplanting Texas, right? That's that's sort of that's sort of your lot in life as one of the schools, the other schools in the Lone Star State. And TCU is on the verge of doing that because the last team to play for a national championship oh. and then not be bowl eligible the next year was Texas. And now TCU is staring uh, staring in the face of its sixth loss of the season when the Longhorns come to town uh, on on Saturday. It would it would salvage TCU's season and I don't see any I don't see any way in the world it could happen. Although Texas, you know, Texas certainly messed around uh, against Houston in, in a passion play type of situation. Yeah. I want Bill to. I want to know what Bill thinks of our bet. Uh, Bill, Reese, and I on uh, our pod earlier this week made a uh, friendly dinner wager. We we're, <laughs> we're prone to these occasionally, as you know. Um, we Reese paid his off last year from basketball season at a uh, steakhouse in Houston, where it may get paid off whoever loses this time again. Uh, I took like Texas basically losing one of the last four games, like just basically saying Texas does not get in the playoff. They fall down an elevator shaft to use uh, Reese Davis phraseology. And uh, Reese's take uh, to lead the pod uh, early this week was Texas clinched a playoff spot and they just have to play out the string. Who do do you think made the wiser uh, wager bill? 
I think right now odds still favor them losing. Just don't ask me to who. Um, it's one of those things where they're going to be their double digit favorites. I have them projected by by double digits in all three. You know, TCU, Iowa State, and Texas Tech, and they'll probably be a comfortable favorite against OSU. But you add all those odds up together, and it's still like only a forty eight percent chance to get into eleven and one. Then you add on. I keep saying Oklahoma State, and like when I'm writing, I keep thinking they've already clinched. They obviously have not. But whoever they play in that game. Um, it would still be like kind of a 60, 40, 70, 30 kind of odds. So, yeah, I mean, if if you get past Iowa State next week, I don't think they're going to – it'd be pretty funny if they lost at home to Texas Tech to finish the year um, because Texas they Tech – They did was, lose to Texas Tech last year. I was going to say because they go yeah. six for eight on fourth downs again or whatever. But They were, they were throwing tortillas, though, too, and that, that distracted them. That's right. It'll be hard to do that. God bless college football and throwing tortillas. <laughs> you can't make this up. But <laughs> – no, I mean, right now, I, I do think they're still more likely to finish with two losses than one. It's just going to be somebody's going to actually have to take them down in Kansas State. Sure had a shot at that the Ooh. other day and 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 dropped the well, ball. Literally. You know of. what, Bill? My, my theory on it is this. I think Texas is really good. I don't think they're – I'm not saying that I think they're great and better than everybody else and can't yeah. possibly lose. My theory on this is rhythm of the season. And they have escaped twice. (laughs) And a lot of times when the chances come along and you don't trip up, when to use the other uh, metaphor, Pete, when when you don't step on the rake and it doesn't hit you, or maybe you step on it and you realize you step on it and you move your head and it misses. That's (laughs) happened twice now. Houston and Kansas State. Now the caveat, and I'll still pay the bet if I lose, obviously, if, um, you know, what what can we have? We could still have Florida State, uh, Georgia, yeah. uh, Michigan, and Washington undefeated. I'll still pay the bet if they don't make it, <laughs> but that would be the caveat more clearly. They wouldn't make the playoff. But assuming that we don't have that, and then you can also, it would put them ahead of, you know, ahead of Alabama if Alabama's in the mix the last, uh, the last weekend. That, that's I, where I'm coming from. I think they've dodged, I think they've been, very fortunate to dodge the disaster twice because in my heart of hearts, I know if Houston had scored, I know Dana was going to go for two. And I saw that <laughs> probably not before get it. when he was at West Virginia and he was going to get it again. And they were going to lose if not for that, that bad uh, third down spot. And then Saturday, Kansas state, as you alluded, they, they should have had them. They, I mean, they came back. Texas probably should have put the game away. But they came back and they should have had them and they didn't. So that's I think there are a few now. extra special time periods in Manhattan this week. Yeah, maybe so. Exactly. So you you dodged the rake handle on the right, you <laughs> dodged it on the left. And now I I now I think you've got I would I would say, even though I don't think they're suited to beat them, that that trip to Ames if yes. it's cold and nasty, you know. Yeah, that, that if- yeah. Yeah. If it's cold and nasty, that Iowa State secondary is really, really good. Um, and whether it's, I mean, I assume yours is back by then, but I, I guess we'll see how this all plays out. But I mean, he can still be baited into mistakes occasionally, and Iowa State is pretty good at the bait. So I think between getting absolute home run swings from Texas or from TCU and Texas Tech, which probably will be, uh, you know, not enough, but they, you know, they're going to get those teams A games. They'll probably get Iowa State's A game too. I really do think it's from a poetry standpoint, Mike Gundy being the first one out saying, well, they can leave. I don't care. They can, I, We don't need them here. And then beating both OU and Texas to keep them both out of the college football playoff this year. There's oh. some poetry. There's some poetry to that. But um, yeah, it's still, they're going to be favored in all those games. And if they play their A game, it probably won't matter. Gundy might retire and go on to the rattlesnake hunting circuit after the bowl game if he does that. Just, you know, right. Well, the old George Costanza walk off on a high note. That's if right. he does that, I don't know what else you're going to do there. You know, I mean, yep. he, he might, he might. How about this? I just show Pete often talks about how crazy this sport is, and it is. Uh, this week, reading back through some stuff and coming across that note I mentioned earlier about, you know, TCU national championship game and then next year maybe not going to a bowl. Uh Kirk Bowles, you know, long long time reporter in Austin, you know, knows knows all things uh, connected to Texas, uh, had written a story 
previously that Texas athletic director, Chris Del Conte, wanted to hire Sonny Dykes. Yeah. The name wasn't big enough for prominent Texas boosters. And, you know, if Texas, of course, denies this and the boosters wanted Sark, ultimately Sark got the job. And whoever last year preferred Steve Sarkeesian to Sonny Dykes, you know, <laughs> looked sort of like a moron. And then you flip it one year, and now they look like Albert Einstein. You know, like, oh, yeah, we, we had Sark all along. And the variance and yep. the uh, difficulties of making the right coaching hire, and then once you make it, if you have success maintaining it, or if you don't have as much success as you'd hoped early, turning it around is uh, is really, really a remarkable, remarkable and- thing. And the God of close games just laughs at all of us in, in, in every possible way. Cause TCU got all the breaks last year. It hasn't gotten any this year. Texas was like two and what, two and four, two and five each of the last couple seasons in one score games. Now they're getting the breaks. Um, we so much of this just comes down to when it's kind of your turn to, to get the breaks. And, and Texas has certainly timed their breaks pretty well this year. Running an athletic department and making these decisions is investing in crypto, not bonds. Oh, it's just, <laughs> it is prone to volatility. You are, There's you are no job I want less. Nick, There's no job I want less than that. Nick Saban is the only one who has been averse to a financial slump, basically the last <laughs> 20 years, right? Like that, you could maybe argue a few other brands have, you know, done that, but like there is, there is variance. There will be variance um, unless you are in that, you know, top 50% of 1%, right? Like I just, you know, there is just going to be variance, which makes it beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful mess with vacuum cleaners on the porch. <laughs> hey, how how's your vacuum cleaner running, Bill? Is it okay? Oh, uh, we're good. We we got one of those expensive ones a few years ago, so we're fine. We're, we're, we got a ways before we have to worry about one. If, uh, if something goes wrong, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe, uh, you know, I'm curious, you know, a lot of things back. We'll see. Well, I'm not convinced of 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 what was going on there, but who knows? Who knows? You might you might have to pay for shipping and handling, but yes. I, I'm not sure how how that works. But we maybe we can get you in contact with a guy. <laughs> Guys, one last thing I want to say before we get out of here: James Madison appealing to the NCAA oh. again about having the transition period reduced and allowing them. And I believe the um, the Sun Belt said that. You know, if they if yep. they get relief, that they're going to let them play in the championship game. This this is the chance. The NCAA can't solve uh, every problem that faces college athletics, and they certainly can't satisfy the people involved. Here's your chance to do one <laughs> thing that everybody understands is the right thing that everybody understands is good for your brand. It's good for James Madison. It's good for the players. It's good for the conference. It's good for everybody. There is no downside to this. They've done it differently than the other transition schools. They didn't play their first year in FCS. They've proven that they can compete. I'm begging you, do the right thing. Make it easy. Just take the PR win. They're handing you a PR win. Take it. Take it and say thank you and watch the goodwill that you engender. Guys, great job here today. As always, Pete and I will be back with Stanford Steve on Friday to make our picks. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. We ask you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you prefer downloading it each time, just go ahead and download wherever it is you like to get your podcast. And good luck keeping your vacuum cleaners in good working order.